Take your, uh, take, let's look at the beloved John's gospel uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, I've been asked in the coming weeks, uh, the uh, two Sundays that I'll miss you in September, uh, I've been asked by the Cutter Church to, uh, to speak uh, maybe 15 times, and they've asked some specific areas, and I thought, if we can do double duty, it only helps with time. And they've asked that I might give some help uh, in the areas of uh, the, who the disciples are, and then the early miracles of Jesus, and specifically, it's the first time they've asked for some specific help. And so, uh, as we were working our way through Luke, uh, I noticed that we kept coming to, and Jesus was teaching the disciples, and even last week, he's teaching the disciples, and the Pharisees eavesdrop, remember? And then he's teaching the disciples again. We're going to see that in a moment when we go back to Luke in a few weeks. Again, he's te- and I go like, I wonder uh, how well we really know who these characters are called the disciples. So we'll do a little uh, parenthesis here and drive in John chapter 135 through, should be 51, and we're going to notice um, uh, indeed uh, some of these uh, characters. All right, shall we do that? Let's look at John. It's still the introduction to uh, the gospel of John. I know our Uh, Mark has done some exceptional teaching and preaching and work in the Gospel of John. His work is is almost the final work. He spent, I think, seven years, and he only got to chapter 17. That's uh, quite a comprehensive study. Well, if you look at uh, uh, John's Gospel, chapter 1, look at verse 35, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. John the Beloved writes, The next day, again, John... Uh, what, that's John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John? You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. 
Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Well, the disciples. I mean, if you were about to enter into uh, uh, the greatest work, the greatest project ever, ever to be performed, whom would you pick to be on your team? I mean, who would you pick? And we've heard a lot recently about the, uh, the United States Olympic basketball team. Is that a championship game today or was that played last night? Is that? That's today, yeah. And they compare. I hear, you hear a lot of comparison with the, uh, this year's team with the 92 Dream Team. Do you remember the Dream Team? I mean, uh, to me, uh, in those years, that had to be the best of the best. We, we finally got tired of competing as amateurs. We took our best of our collegians, and they were competing on the international scene in basketball, the game that we taught the world, and they were professionals. And they took, we, we, we still sent, in prior years to the 90, 92 team, we sent our college guys in to play these guys that were supported, state-funded and all, USSR and some of these, and we, we lost. And it was like, how could we ever lose at basketball, you know? How could we? And then finally, that was, that's it. We're pulling out all the stops. Anybody, and, and Michael Jordan and company went in and completely demolished the world. You remember that? How many of you remember that? Yeah, I'm still cheering that. That in the 80 hockey game. How about that when he beat the rush? Woo! That was something. Well, that was the dream team. Now, if you were going to enter the, the greatest work now, the greatest single thing ever to be done, I mean, to whom would you pick to be on your team? I would say, uh, undoubtedly, you would pick the best and the brightest and let me see your resume. I want to find the people that have the most experience. I don't want to go like, well, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, cross your legs, and I hope to die. No, I want, I want the best that have been and that know and, and to get this done that I could find uh, to do that project and do it successfully. Well, John, the beloved, in his gospel, what we have just read, he's in the midst of introducing Jesus to us. I mean, it's an incredible prologue. In the beginning was the Word, verse 1, chapter 1, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, this logos, this Word, this Creator. He's made all things, verse 2. He's continuing to teach us who this one is, this one in verse 14 who became flesh and dwelt among us. And then he moves into John's, uh, telling us about John the Baptist's ministry. John is the one who points at him and said, that's the one, that's the one we've been waiting for. That's the Messiah. And, and then uh, he is, he, uh, the Lord comes to John in the River Jordan, and he's baptized by John, and, and the, uh, the Spirit, like in the form of a dove, rests upon him. He's the one. There's not a, another one. There will never be another one. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. From that baptism, we know as we compare the other Gospels, Jesus is then taken from his baptism for 40 days. He's tested in the wilderness and he has shown to be the Son of God with power. The second Adam, successful, unlike our father, the first Adam, who failed there in paradise. Adam's in paradise, and he succumbs to temptation and sins. 
And because of that, we get sick and die. How about that? Look at us. But the second Adam, Jesus, not in paradise, not in a garden, but in the barren back wilderness, fasting 40 days, assaulted by Satan, and yet comes through without sin. He was tempted in all ways like us. Hebrews tells us, yet without sin. Well, following that temptation, the Lord makes his way back into this area, and he passes by where John has been calling the nation in preparation for the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not the Messiah. He is not Elijah. He's the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare ye the way for the Lord. It was preparatory. And so he's doing that. Now he's got disciples around him, John the Baptist's disciples. And John is preaching. I mean, he was a crusty, crusty guy with, with camel hair and eating locusts. I don't know what you think about that. It wasn't Botany 500, and it certainly wasn't the cuisine that you and I enjoy eating, this rough and tumble and coarse man, but a godly man, Nazarite vow from birth, preaching and calling a nation to get ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus. Well, John tells us about all that in the introduction. Now, as we read in our text, verse 35, a couple of the disciples are standing around, and it's ready for the Lord to come. He comes back from the wilderness, and here he is, uh, and uh, John is going to introduce us now uh, to, uh, to, uh, to Andrew and to himself and to the first five disciples that Jesus picks to be a part of this team, if you will, dream team, uh, that he will charge the men to take the treasure of the gospel throughout the whole world. I mean, who would you pick? I mean, imagine if you were God. I mean, God's able and did. He picked the exact time, the exact place, the exact personalities, even was a part of families that they would rise, uh, grow up in, their educational, their IQ, all of these things, their quirks, all of that. I say to you, we have much to learn when we look about this assemblage of, in this case, men that God is going to entrust with the treasury of the gospel and to take it to the four corners of the earth. In a very real sense, in a very real sense, you and I are here in Mechanicsburg today in this place as a result of their first century ministry. I mean, it's a relay race. Did you watch the relay race in the Olympics? Did you watch that short one one time around the track? The, the U.S. ladies team? Boy, that was, that was, and the guys? That was fast. Passing the baton, and you got to pass the baton within the, the limits. I see the British team, they didn't quite get the handoff. How many of you have run on relays before? I ran on one years ago. Look at that. Yeah, some of you have. You got you to pass that, this, they were calling it the stick, you got to pass that in that, and uh, wow, that's what the gospel is. Every generation has to receive the gospel. And as a result of their early work, foundational work, uh, we are here today as a result of these men that God chose to be a part of the greatest work of all. I say to you, it wasn't the moon, the lunar shot, although that, what a great day that was in 69 when Neil Armstrong bounced on the uh, surface of the moon. We watched that on our TV. We thought like, wow, this is really something. I saw a, a little caption. Did, he must have had heart surgery this week. Neil Armstrong, did some of you see that? Yeah, I haven't heard any more about it. He's like a national treasure, you know, insofar. I realize he was the tip 
of thousands and thousands of men and women, engineers and all sorts, that <clears throat> but he's, he was the commander and he jumped on the moon first. So he becomes like a national treasure. Uh, but the relay of the gospel must be one in every generation. Every generation from from, from uh, church winning their community, from parents in their family, friendship evangelism. But the days go and the generations come and the generations go. And uh, this is the early, early sense. Well, I just want us to glance. We could, we could look at a number of things in verses uh, uh, 35 through 51. I mean, you, there's a progression here in recognizing who Jesus is. There are like eight or nine different names for Jesus. As you look through that, you'll see it, everything from Messiah to Rabbi, the Son of God, the Son of Man, to Christ, uh, to, uh, to the Lamb of God. You see progression. Jim Boyce sees order in that even as his ministry unfolds. We could spend time looking at that as John is in his introduction, identifying for us in John's God, who is this Jesus, this one who is to be believed upon? But rather than that, we'll simply look at the, the, uh, the, the five men that appear, the first of his disciples, and, uh, and we'll notice by way of great encouragement uh, some insights here. So let me say five encouraging insights from knowing that God used ordinary people like you, like me, to do his work. And you know what? He still does today. I mean, if you walk away with anything else after, after this, I think uh, the glory to God and praise to our Savior is that God delights in using common people filled with warts and all sorts of trouble. You go like, is there any hope for me? You know, a lot of people come to church and go like, I need just a word of hope. You know, like, I don't know that I'm going to... Look, you're in the picture here. We talked about that last week. And I'm in the picture here. And these guys are full of all sorts of ordinary, common, even sinful ways. And we go like, how can God ever use me? Look who he used. Look who he picked to be a part of his dream team. You see, God does it, 1 Corinthians 1, God delights in choosing the weak and the foolish and the simple Right? So that when he does the work, he gets all the glory. It's not like us trying to, hey, God, that was smart picking me. You know, like, hey, he does it. So we go like, wow. You know, I feel like that. I, I know that that's true as us as a church family. We go like, well, we're not, we're not huge and we're not mighty. And, and even as we see and we pray that God use grace as a beachhead for the gospel to make a difference here in our community and out the world, we go like, God must, Lord, you have to do it or we're in deep trouble. You've got to do it. It can't be out. We can't sit down with a calculator, lay it all out. Okay, here we go. Impossible. So I say to you, it's, it's exciting that, that God should orchestrate in your life and mine to be here a part of this time that we might keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and say, Lord, what is it you want us to do for you in this great enterprise in carrying the treasure to the next generation if Jesus should tarry? And that's what we're a part of. Well, the encouragement here. Well, notice this. We begin in verses 35 through 42a. The first uh, uh, disciple that is named is Andrew, this quiet fisherman uh, in his life in the few pages of Scripture that we find him, was always bringing somebody to Jesus. Now, I don't know what you think about the epithet of your life. You know, we, we're forming that every day, you know, like how we live and what is said about us, you know, insofar as uh, 
the one sentence, it gets shorter and shorter after you're gone, too. I was sorry to see Ed Lawford's father died. Did you see uh, a brilliant man, Ph.D. from Pittsburgh, and worked with Jonas Salk and brought him to Pittsburgh and all that. He died this week, and the, uh, the obituary was enormous. I don't know that I ever saw one that big. And, and then it wasn't, and then it was in, I just glanced this morning. I want to see if any of you weren't going to make worship. So I look at the obits in the morning, and there it was again. This all went on and on and on, and all that uh, uh, Dr. Lawford had, had done, in, incredible. I'm reminded that you and I make the little description, Zabolski, you know, there it is, a few words, and that sort of describes it. And what's the description of your life? Here's Andrew. Andrew's description from scriptures is what? Always bringing someone to Jesus. That's not bad. When Dawson Trotman died, the founder of Navigator's Ministry, I've told you this before, he drowned at Scroon Lake up at the Word of Life. Uh, Rob, I don't know if you knew that. He was out there in the island, off the island, and they were out there, and a couple of the girls fell off the motorboat into the lake, and uh, Dawson jumped in to rescue the girls. The girls couldn't swim, and he held the one up, and they went down, got the other, held that one up, and they went back, Jack Wirtz, and they grabbed Dawson. He drowned. Founder, young man with all that to uh, look forward to. He founded, the, and uh, Time Magazine carried uh, the, his picture that week. In their in their time in their magazine picture Dawson Trotman and there it is always lifting someone up that was the epithet of his life not that's not bad I I wouldn't mind that uh, I'm, as an encourager Faith is an encourager she's encourages so many people you know always lifting encouraging Andrew is what always bringing someone to Jesus. I'm asking you, what is it that you're making every day in your life that they'll say like your name and then not even a sentence to describe your life? Wow, we're forming that every day. Here's Andrew. The Bible doesn't tell us much about him, yet there's enough to get the sense of who he is. Hey, Andrew had been one of John's, uh, John the Baptist's disciple. He was standing near the Baptist with uh, John the Beloved, uh, who wrote this gospel, that we're reading, when Jesus passed by. And he followed Jesus that day, and he stayed with him. It was the day that Jesus passed by. You know that every time that the gospel is presented or there's preaching, Jesus passes by. Now, that was a special day. There's no question. When he bodily came by that area in which John the Baptist and the disciples were down by that waterway, and Jesus chose to pass by. He came by. That's the gospel. I remember when the gospel came by me as a, as a young boy, and, and I heard it first time, and I, I was convicted of the heart. The pastor was faithful to the Word, and I knew I was a sinner, even as a seven-year-old boy, that I was a sinner. And the result of that, I deserved hell, according to God's Word. Whether I felt that way or not, prior to that, I heard the Word, and I was convicted to the heart that I was born in sin and on my way to a Christless eternity. I want to tell you that Jesus passed by as he preached the gospel and he invited any and all to receive the Lord Jesus as Savior from sin. I go like, well, what's that all about? I didn't act that Sunday. I, I went home. My mother had been with me that day. And I said, what's that all about, Mom? I felt like drawn. I was drawn to want to respond to that, but I didn't. 
And she had a chance to share with me from the Bible that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. That's why we die physically, because we're born spiritually dead. But God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for for you, died in your place, if you'll have him. And if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. My mother went through the Romans road with me. I didn't pray at that point, but I took that to heart. And then the very next Sunday when we were in worship and Pastor Griffin, who's now in glory, presented the gospel again and invited any to want to receive the Lord Jesus Christ to, to, uh, to, to respond. And I did, and God saved me and has, has kept me all these years, over 50 years now. He has kept me. You see, Jesus passed by, and he called. He said, Terry, come. And if you know Jesus, he did the same thing in different ways in, in your life. And if you're here and, he's, and you've never trusted Jesus, he's saying to you, come, come and see. Come, come. I made you for myself. You'll never know who you are. You'll never know the pleasure and joy that I've created you to enjoy until you come to me. Come. Jesus passed by. That's what the, the text says here. It's, it's glory. I don't want to make more of it then, but it's, I can't pass over it. When Jesus passed by, well, and, and the question, where, where are you going? And the Lord says, come and see. Where are you staying? Come and see. And he spent the whole day with him. And the hour was 10 o'clock. Now, there's some question, you know, what... Uh, how could you spend a whole day with him if it's 10 o'clock? The Jews rendered time beginning. The day began at 6 a.m., the evening and the morning. Evening, morning, day one, uh, from Hebrews 1. Or Hebrews 1. <laughs> the Hebrew words in Genesis 1. Uh, but the Romans, uh, and we adopted that in America with our timetable in Greenwich time, the, the day begins at midnight. And there are four references in John's Gospel to time, time sequence, and I think John is using Roman time, particularly when you come to the last statement where he uses it on the cross, the timing of the cross in his time reference do not make sense using the Jewish day beginning at 6. So he's, I think he's using the, in his large uh, worldwide scope of the gospel using Roman time beginning at midnight, so it's 10 in the morning. And so and Andrew and the other disciple, and I'll tell you who that is, it's John who wrote this book, uh, he... Uh, uh, they spend the whole day with Jesus. They spent the day from 10 a.m. and maybe overnight, stayed and lodged there. A day to remember. A day to A red-letter day. Have you had days like that? Days to remember? You go, like, yeah, I remember when I graduated. I burned my notebooks and book. What a day to remember. I'll never. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't burn your books and notebooks. I, sometimes. <laughs> I'll never. How about vacation days? You remember that, right? Vacation went somewhere with my family, or some of you went with us to Israel in days gone by, like oh, standing in the garden tomb, or being in the old city. Oh, I'll never forget that. Uh, uh, you know, with so many days are so common, but uh, to spend a day with Jesus. Can you imagine in years to come, Andrew saying, "Let me tell you about that day I spent with Jesus." What a sweet thing. You know, you, you and I do that as we open the Word and, and we spend time with the Lord in small ways. And some days, longer periods of time, we spend that with the Lord. He speaks to us through the Word and we kneel and pray to Him 
What a day of all days. What a day to remember. Memorable for sure. And I'm sure as Jesus spent that time, it was, must have been like the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, where he opened the Scriptures and he showed how the Scriptures pointed from beginning to end. Uh, that's the Old Testament Scriptures pointing to himself. There is the Creator in Genesis 1, the seed of the woman in Genesis 3, all the way through the, the line of the tribe of Judah in, in Genesis 49, and he's the Passover in Exodus and in Numbers, and, and, and all the way through, he is the glorious one and presented himself. Well, B, the next day, Andrew, according to our text, finds his brother. Did you see that? There in verse 41, he first found his own brother Simon. And he said to Simon, that's Simon Peter, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. In verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus. There's the expression. He's always bringing someone to the Lord. And he brings his brother uh, this is family evangelism. He declared to Peter that Messiah has been found, the promised one, the one and only, the Lord Jesus Christ. Family evangelism. You know, when you look at evangelism, so much of it is God has orchestrated that families. Now, it's not all families uh, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, but it seems to be that if a mom or a dad in a family God opens their heart and life to saving them, then uh, there's a burden uh, and there's a witness and there's uh, uh, a desire to see the children and the grandchildren come to know Christ the Lord as Savior. A lot of times, regeneration happens through families. Sometimes it's after mom and dad die that it, God brings it together into the heart and life of, uh, of a son or daughter who who has not responded, and, they, and all of a sudden he draws them at that point, and uh, their tears, why was I so late? I've, I've witnessed that in my own life, that God, even after that, takes a, a mom or dad to heaven, saves, saves a, a, an adult a daughter or son, uh, with, and, and that, which gives them only a portion of their life to live for the Lord. But that's often the case, family evangelism. I, I think of that uh, family, uh, Faithy's family is so unusual in that in her family, and we're talking uh, the immediate family from her, from her grandparents uh, to her mom and dad, all of the and sisters in their family and the greater there's and cousins and nephews. There's there is not a one that we know of that uh, is not saved that doesn't profess Christ. There are many pastors and missionaries. Didn't have to be that way, but uh, God did that that way. A wonderful thing. And they, they ascribe that to a very godly grandmother. That's Pops, Faithy's dad's mother, a little German lady, who had a very hard life. Lived with her husband. He was a plumber. He, uh, he drank a lot, and he was unsaved until the last six months of his life, after she died. But she prayed and prayed and prayed and was a warrior and, and shared the gospel far and wide. And all of her children 
professed faith in Christ and became pillars in the church and raised their family and knew the blessing of God upon that. And oftentimes, as, as we see in Andrew, he finds his brother, Peter. Now, can you imagine being, being the brother of Peter? I mean, Peter's such a dominant, uh, A-type personality, and Andrew seems to be the quiet fisherman. Well, it has to be that way, right? In a family, and in your family, you can't have two, two like this, right? You can't get a word in edgewise, so you can almost see that. So Peter's motor mouth, affectionately called, talking all the time, but here's Andrew, bringing, we have found the Lord, and brings him to Jesus. In my own life, my family, I've had the joy of of uh, praying at least twice with my older brother to for his his salvation when he was in college. We knelt and prayed and opened his heart to the Lord, and uh, I count that a privilege to do that. And then years later, to question him if he was really saved, because his life didn't seem to be, bear the fruit of salvation. And he assured me uh, that, uh, in fact, he is saved, that he knows the Lord, he's not counting on anything in his own life, He's not where he ought to be. He is going. He is. He is where he. He 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 is moving in the right direction. So many words he told me that. So I was glad for that. I still have two brothers that I pray for. I bore witness to one even this week, and uh, of Christ and and God is as I would say drawing him. And so I'm thankful for that. You see, this is a natural thing. I mean, a lot of times we think evangelism stranger, right? Stranger evangelism is rather easy. You know, you meet someone on the street, or they don't know you from who? They don't know if you're Jack the Ripper. You know, like, well, you smile nice, and maybe you gave them a little track or something like that. But they don't, they don't see your, the changes in your life and the ups and downs in, in the life message. And that's why those that know us dear are, are witnesses much stronger, though it's harder. It's harder because they know us. They know when we failed, and we failed so much. And we just don't own up to perfectionism. That's crazy. Don't even try that. You'll never be close to people. We are all wretched, left to ourselves. And even after salvation, we fall so often. You know, like, well, but God picks us up, and He gives us a song, and He gives us joy. And we, we're humbled by that. And it's, a very, it's an attractive thing to our families and should draw them to Jesus. Andrew brings Peter. How about that? Brings Peter to Jesus. And it's an amazing, wonderful thing. And it's often God's plan. Let me encourage you in that. To write down, uh, loved ones, your brothers, sisters, those that are near you, know, that, know you best in your family, and pray for their salvation. God hears that. Well, there are only two other passages in all Scripture that tell us about Andrew. In both of these cases, we find him bringing someone to Jesus. Uh, in John 6, he's the one that found the boy with a lunch. Remember that feeding of the 5,000? You know, like, and uh, like the Lord says to the disciples, uh, now the disciples said to the Lord, send them away. It's getting late. They're all hungry. They've been here all day. They didn't have like fast foods like right over there in Capernaum on the Carlisle Pike. You know, I think I'll go through Chick-fil-A and and gets, or I'll go through Burger King or something. You know, they didn't have that, right? So send them away. And the Lord says, no, you feed them. Like, what? Me feed them? Are you kidding? There's 5,000 men. That means there's another 5,000 women, and if they each, if they're married, they have a couple of kids. 12, you know, like 15,000 people. Yeah, right, that's going to happen. Any caterers? No caterers? I mean, it's, a, it's quite a situation. The Lord's going to teach him about them himself, right? And so here comes Andrew, 
you know, he comes up with a boy's lunch. Lord, I found this boy. He's got five loaves and two fishes. You know, like, and he's holding the lunch. Now, I'll tell you, you've got to be a good talker to take a lunch from a boy. I know in school, lunch was the big moment, you know, the middle of that gym, right? Amen, Mike? Yeah. <laughs> Lunchtime. Yay. Ron, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Get away from me. You know, don't mess with my lunch. Well, Andrew got his lunch. Lord, I got five loaves and two fishes here. And he brings the lunch and the boy to Jesus. There he is, always bringing someone. And then the, a, a, a strange case in John 12, we find there's some leading Greeks that uh, had approached uh, Philip, and uh, they're asking about Jesus. He didn't know what to do, so he came to Andrew, and Andrew said, let's take him to Jesus. There he is again in, in John 12, takes him to Jesus. That's what we ought to do. You know that? We ought to do that. God has significantly placed us in families, neighborhoods, at work, as a church family. I mean, we're praying about that as they're planting thousands of homes, hundreds and even into the thousands of new homes. If the Lord should tarry right in the vicinity where our church is going to be as a lighthouse. And, and God wants us to bear witness for Jesus, to bring people to Christ. You know, it happens one-on-one. I mean, we could put a megaphone on a car, and, and uh, Paul could drive me around, and I could preach, you know, with signs on it, you know, uh, 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 rep- how's it, turn or burn or something, you know, like that. <laughs> yeah. so, like, what a bunch of wackos <laughs> those people are. I don't know, even want anything near we could do that. That's weirdo stuff. But God has set us in neighborhoods and in families in, to have natural relationship. People that know us know that we're sinful. We fall, but we're forgiven. And we, have a, we care about people. Life is short. And God has done that and in your life. There are people in your life. God wants you to be a bridge and bear witness to Jesus too. I can't tell you who that is, but may the Lord put their names on your heart. And, and, may, and may you say, Lord, Help me to bring them to you somehow, some way. Simply invite them. If nothing more, come and hear pastor's messages right from the Bible. You can say that. It's so rare today. Just right from the scriptures. And, you know, like, yeah, that's it. He just simply unfolds that. Well, how, what's that like, you know? Anyway, maybe God will save them. Well, that's Andrew, the quiet fisherman who's always bringing some of the Jesus. Now, what about the second encouraging? On this dream team of you, how about Peter? Well, that's who Andrew brings to Jesus. He's, uh, I call them the salty fisherman. He reminds us, he reminds me that failure is never final with the Lord. And I need that encouragement. And I just suspect you need it as well. Failure is never final with the Lord. How often we too have failed the Lord Jesus, yet he continues his work of of the gospel in us to change us. It's his work in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He makes you willing. We're not talking behavior modification. It's the power of the gospel within you for the glory of God. It's amazing that God doesn't kick us off the team, right? They talk about the dream team, that's it. Zabolski, you missed another simple layup. In life, you're out, right? I would have kicked myself out <laughs> so long ago and, and would have kicked you out too. We'd all be kicked out. We'd all be on the outside. It isn't up to us. God is, uh, we're confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in us, his work, he'll continue it, he'll finish it to the day of Jesus Christ. 
We are His trophies of grace. Well, Jesus told Peter uh, in our text in 42b, he calls it, it's kind of odd here, he just changes his name. Look, you're, uh, you're Simon, a son of John, um, uh, I'm going to rename you uh, Cephas, which means Peter. That means rock or stone. Um, uh, Cephas is Aramaic, and uh, we're going to rename you. In other words, the name, name doesn't mean much to us. I mean, we name names after family names or names that sound cute or nice or they're popular names. I mean, we did that. We, Faith and I carefully chose Sarah, David, and Jonathan, Hebrew names, Old Testament names, Bible names. We did that for that reason. But in the ancient day, a name uh, meant your character and who you would be. Uh, you're, 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 you, you are Simon, but the Lord is saying, I'm going to call you rock or stone. In other words, the gospel is going to so change this man to make him into a strong building stone, a leader, if you would, uh, will, uh, in, the, in the cause of Christ, in the building of the church. Wow. He would become, by God's grace alone, a rock. He, was the first, he would become the first uh, preacher of the gospel in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. It was Peter that stood up and began to preach that day. God was changing him through the very power of the gospel. And, uh, and, and the Lord is making him into the early leader uh, of the apostles. When you read the, the book of Acts, it gives uh, like the first selective 40 years of church history that uh, chapters, uh, really chapter 2 to chapter 12, Peter is the main personality. I mean, he is the leader, the head. The, and then in chapter 13 until the end, then it shifts over to the apostle Paul. Chapter 13 is the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. We know him as Paul. But Peter is this early leader. He is the rock. Uh, he is uh, uh, of even all the other apostles at that point. But Peter's life, and we know in the Gospels because it's filled with, is colorfully filled with failures. Yet the Lord continues to develop him. And don't we love him for it? I do. I love it. A lot of times we call him motor mouth, you know. Peter not knowing what he said, said. That's the King James Version there on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter not knowing what he said, said. Have, has that ever happened to you? Yeah, that happened yesterday. If you saw, I saw uh, Mitt Romney introduce uh, uh, Ryan as his uh, running mate. Did you see that? I about fell off the, with great sympathy, I fell off my sofa when, uh, when I saw it because you, if, you're, if you're into public speaking, a lot of times your tongue is ahead of your brain. And I go like, oh, that's happened to me a million times. And he introduces Ryan as the next president of the United States. I go like, holy cow. <laughs> I'm sure he didn't mean that, you know. And I thought, how's he going to recover here? And I'm sure... It was like, I, I, and I've said things like that, and I'll go stand next to Faith, and Faith will say, do you know what you just said? <laughs> I said, what I say? Oh, I didn't say that really, did it? Yeah, you did. And, I, and I, I just watched this play out in a church setting with myself, which it could have been a thousand times to this guy. And it goes, and there he comes. He comes walking up to the podium. <laughs> that was Peter. Peter not knowing what he said said, 
That's me. That's you. And, and we love him for it, don't we? And yet God picked him. I mean, he could have picked anyone. He picks this crusty, salty fisherman, this salt-of-the-earth guy, common, ordinary in every sense of the word. I say to you, is it shouts to us, there's hope for all of us. There really is, because it's God's work. How about when he walks on the water? In Matthew 14, I have it on your sheet, uh, you know, he walks on the water. And I, I really, sh- I, I should say, you know, we, we often say, um, sometimes it's a quiz, you know, uh, who, how many walked on the water? And we go like, well, Jesus walked on the water. No, Peter too. So sometimes we're a little tough with Peter because the other disciples were there too. Only Peter jumped out of the boat. So, you know, you got to give him his due. I, I love that, right? You go ahead, Peter, I'll check. If you, if you survive, I'll go. <laughs> but he jumps out of the boat. There he is walking. He's walking by faith, looking at the Lord on the water, right? And then, then just like us, right? Man, where, where am I? Holy cow, there's a storm going on out here. There's waves. Ah! <laughs> Isn't that us? We have some days where we're like, oh, Lord, it's so great. Next day, it's like, oh, terrified. I think I'll stay in bed today. <laughs> it starts going down. It's rather amazing going down. And the Lord rescues him, right? It's, it's, a, it's interesting uh, physical uh, laws of physics. There. The Lord's standing on the water, right, liquid, and he gives them a hand, pulls them. Now, that, you can figure those ones out. I mean, that's the Lord of glory. That's the creator. And uh, that's Peter. We, we love him for it. I do. I really. And there on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, we already said that, you know. Uh, and then after his arrest, and the Lord had, after Jesus' arrest, and the Lord had already warned him, Satan desires to have you, to sift you. Uh, but I have prayed for you, Peter. Uh, he, he boldly denies knowing Jesus uh, there in the courtyard of uh, Pilate, uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, uh, the high priest, and uh, in Matthew uh, 26, um, and there he three, I don't know the man, and then he cusses, and trying to distance him, you, yeah, you got that Galilean axe, I don't know him, and he cowering before a little servant girl. They're warming himself by the fire. And again, we don't want to be too hard on him because you know what? Uh, The text tells us, and it's a wonderful thing, he went out and wept. He had a heart that was touchable. You know, he sinned, and and, and so I I relate so well to him. And it reminds us that with the Lord, how oftentimes, even in our in our salvation, the thousands of times, innumerable times that you and I have sinned. And we go like, where's the power of the gospel in my life? Lord, did you make a mistake in calling me? And he says, no, I'm your, I, you're my project. You're on my team. I'm building my church. And Peter's life screams to me such great encouragement. And you know what? I have learned, too, that... Uh, as much as you like to succeed, right? And we like to have more successes than failures, right? Isn't that true? I, I learn so much more in the schoolroom of failure than I do in success. I tend to. I tend to learn the lessons better. I tend to get the wrong ideas in when I succeed. Um, but in failure, uh, that hurts. It's painful. 
like sticking your hand in fire. The proverbial, whoa, I can do that again. And we sometimes do it again, don't we? You go, what's the matter with me? You know, like, you know, finally, it's like, uh, that's not much fun, is it? And, uh, and I learn more that way, and God uses it in growing me to be like Jesus in a far better way. I talked to, uh, yesterday to someone who used to be a part of grace and, and by God's uh, providence moved far away, and, and uh, he related to me how good it was to, 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 to hear from me and, and uh, had fond memories of ministry at grace, often listens on the web. To, uh, to what's happening at Grace. I was glad to hear that. And, and was recounting what was happening with his children. And, and, uh, and I had tried to help with one in particular. And he was saying that his, his one son is still a tremendous heartache. Uh, and that, uh, that he knows better and that he knows the Lord. And even though he professes to know Jesus, that he is now just finishing his fourth year of incarceration in Spain. And uh, we're just really praying, he said, that uh, through that uh, terrible failure and the loss of those four years, that God will finally reach him and he'll live for Jesus all his days. Uh, And he gave indication that he's conducting Bible studies there in prison. And I hope he's right. And we've prayed for him. As I even had opportunity in days gone by to counsel with him and urge him, you know, sometimes it takes that. Four years in prison in a faraway place. How terrible is that? And yet he's not beyond God's reach. Failure is never final. Uh, Peter's life reminds us of that. And I'm so glad for it. And John 21, John is quick to tell us at the end that, the Lord, he was, uh, that Peter was visited by the Lord Jesus Christ who restored him. Remember that, Peter? Do you love me? Three times. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Incidentally, I'm, I'm not haunted in the sense of scary, but as a pastor teacher, those words define my ministry. What is it that a pastor does? Is he a man of social and engagement, involvement? Eh, a little bit of that, not too much. I don't. What is it? Feed my sheep. What's the very most important thing? A pastor teacher, feed people the real deal, the Word of God. There's nothing more important. Preach the Word in season and out. The Word, the Word, the Word. It's not funny time. It's not story time. You can illustrate it, but teach the Word of God. And so Jesus restores Peter, and he becomes a pillar. You knew, of course, that Peter gave his life. Uh, church uh, tradition tells us that uh, he was crucified, and he refused to be crucified like the Lord, and so they crucified him upside down. I didn't say about Andrew, but, but the tradition is with Andrew, uh, you know all but one of the, the apostles uh, uh, was martyred. John is the only one who, John the Beloved who wrote this book, is the only one that we believe died of old age. Remember when that used to be a disease? You're like, oh, I was a kid, like, and why they die? Old age. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah they were pretty old. You know, like... You know, like, that's completely unacceptable today. Well, we want to know exactly what it was and give me the grimy details and all that. But John died way up there, maybe 95 years old uh, of, of old age, uh, whereas all the other ones were martyred for Jesus. And Andrew, if you go to the Middle East, you'll see there's a St. Andrew's Cross. 
Andrew was nailed to, uh, was fixed to a cross and martyred, but he refused, he requested not to, to be upright like the Lord Jesus, but the St. Andrew's cross, and some of you ladies might see it in jewelry, is it's turned on its side like that. That's the St. Andrew's cross on its side, and you'll see that in buildings and towers and things like that, St. Andrew's Chapel uh, signifying just that. Well, that's Andrew, that's Peter, and now we have Philip. He's the third uh, one that's listed of the first five. He is utterly practical. This practical man learned uh, in his ministry and life to exercise great trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. In verses 43, 44, 45, 46, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. Isn't that great? Jesus found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And, and so let's just stop there at this point. Philip, is this, he's, the, he's the practical mindset, and it's readily seen in John's gospel. What, what do we mean by that? Philip is the, um, uh, he's the numbers guy. Uh, talking to Susie about her job. Uh, he's, the, uh, he's the accountant. He's the guy with the calculator. You know, like, uh, and we'll see that here in the uh, practical. Practical, practical, practical. And you always, let me say, in a church, you always get a cross-section of these type of personalities with men and women. Always. We see it even on, uh, in, in boards of deacons and elder board. You always get the cross-section. And I believe it's by God's balance you can't all be Peters, charge out of the boat. You've got to have somebody there going and say, well, uh, Pastor, that's going to cost about uh, $7.25 and we've got to bring it. You've you got, you got to have the balance there, and God has a way of homogeneously doing that, and Philip is this guy. How do we know that? Well, we're going we're gonna to see that. Uh, first of all, A, Philip is found by Jesus and called to follow him. I just wanted to hesitate. That's true of every one of us. God may use John the Baptist preaching. He may use a brother sharing the gospel, uh, or, uh, or uh, he may come directly. Maybe it's a gospel track. Maybe it's a radio. Maybe it's, uh, it's something you heard, and it all comes together, and God draws you and calls you, and Jesus calls you, and you are saved. There's a calling, an efficacious calling that results in salvation. He came. He found Philip. He found me. He found you if you are saved. He called you. There's a general call to the gospel to all people everywhere. Repent and receive Christ the Lord as Savior and Lord. The general call is given out. I give that whenever I preach. If you're not saved, come to Christ. It's a command. Come today and be saved. And in that, the Spirit of God calls specific people. The, the efficacious call that always results in salvation. For salvation, Jonah 2.9, is of the Lord from beginning to end. It's the Lazarus. We were once dead. We were blind. But now we see. And God calls us and saves us. And Philip is found by Jesus. He is called by him. It's really wonderful. And Philip, and B, he practices friendship evangelism. He goes and finds Nathanael, and he tells him about Jesus. There in verse 45, Philip found Nathanael, said to him, we have found him. Friendship evangelism, relational. This is one step beyond family in raising a godly seed. This is now 
peer and friendship, powerful ways in which God uses to draw men and women and others to Jesus. He finds his friend. He simply invites him, come and see. Now, that's great. That's a good thing. Listen, one thing that, that what, what, what we ought to get into the practice of doing is invite people to check out Jesus for themselves. Don't, don't get into debates with people. That's useless. Really, it is. It's no good to, to do that. Just say, uh, urge them to check out the primary source. What? Read the Scriptures. It used to be a day when the churches gave out copies of the Gospel of John for that very reason. Uh, the Spirit of God would take the Word of God, in that case, simply for a track purpose, the Gospel of John, because the whole purpose is to see people come to know Jesus, the purpose given in John 20, and people would be saved through the Word of God. It's self-authenticating. And, and check it out. Check it out. I was talking to someone this week. I can't remember who it was. But, uh, oh, they're very intelligent, they're very bright, but they're rejecting Christ. I said, uh, I said well, what you need to do is, uh, I would suggest, is ask them to be honest and uh, to check out the primary source. What do you mean? I said, direct them to read uh, the Gospels. Let them read. Open the book of John and to begin to read. Check it out for themselves. Don't do, go with a borrowed opinion. Listen, God promises to use His Word. It's quick, it's powerful than any double-edged sword. And the Spirit of God will draw them. It's Romans 10, right? How shall they hear without a preacher? Faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. And as they read the Word of God, God begins, whoa, this is, this is not what I was thinking. This, this is the Lord... This is Jesus. This is, is this real? And they, they don't know the scripture. They don't know the Bible. And if they're immersed into it and, and God opens their heart, I once was blind, but not, God can save them through the preach, if, through their simple reading of the Word of God. Draw them. Uh, some of you are familiar with uh, a man by, by the name of Lee Strobel. And uh, Lee was uh, a writer for one of the major newspapers in Chicago, and uh, he was a hardened skeptic, didn't believe in anything except humanism and those kind of things. And uh, he eventually began a study to show the folly of Christendom. And as he began to read the Scriptures, God tore off and exposed his unbelieving heart. And through the, that process, that well-educated, high-profile man in the city of Chicago came to saving faith in the Lord Jesus. It was through the power of the Scriptures. God opened his heart and saved him. And he drew him to himself. Well, here we are. Philip goes to his friend. He invites, you come and see. Yes, he is. No, he isn't. No, forget. You come and see for yourself. It's a great approach to the evangelist. And Philip's, practi Philip's practically, uh, practicality, practicality it should be, uh, blinds him by the present need of the hour. Now, he's so practical. He's the numbers guy. He's the, he, we'd say, used to say he's from Missouri, the show me state, right? <laughs> Got to show me first. Uh, now, that can be a real strength, you know, because... Uh, uh, and, and God has made your disposition that way. And if you're that way, that's, that's wonderful, and we need you and all that kind of thing. But uh, that can be your undoing. 
That can, your strength can become your weakness, son, because you're going to struggle walking by faith. You go like, well, I got to see it first. Oh, really? You're the, he's, you're, you're the clay. He's the potter. He calls us, even you, to walk by faith. Now, don't park your brains in the parking lot, you know. Use your brain, but at the end of the day, you lay it at the feet of the Lord. Say, Lord, here it is. And Philip was uh, just that way. His practicality blinded him to the present need of the hour. When the Lord said in that John 6, with the thousands of people that were hungry and needed to be fed with the boy in the lunches before he surfaced, Philip, he knew, he sat down with his paper and pen, he figured out how much food was going to be needed. He said, he go like, eight months of wages. It's not even enough to feed this crowd. I mean, I mean, you just don't throw those numbers out. I mean, his mind's not enough, Lord. Impossible. Impossible. You see it? That's Philip, the practical. They need him, and his faith was going to be stretched, and he was going to, he needed to, to, to do the accounting and all that, but he needed to see something bigger than the problem, and that's a great and glorious God, and that's who we serve. That's, that's what it's all about. Wow. Practical Philip asked Jesus for more revelation. And how about that great John 14? You know, I love that. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And then Thomas, you know, like, where do you go, Lord? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Then right after that, it's Philip that says to the Lord, Lord, show us the Father, and then we'll be satisfied. You know, like, uh, give us more, more revelation, more. And, and the Lord says, Philip, you, I, you have me. I've been here this whole time. If you see me, you see the Father in flesh. You, you don't get any more than this. You know, you, you know it, some, some folks just want more and more and more and more and more revelation of God. We've got the Word of God. We've got the Spirit of God. In the experience of walking with God, to, to know that He holds us by the hand, you don't get any more practical Philip's trust me. And so the Lord gently rebukes him, uh, this, uh, this number guy, uh, that he needed a little more of Ann Kimmel. Did you ever read Ann Kimmel's books? Some of you, Ann Kimmel wrote years ago. Faith used to read it. Uh, her one book was, I Love the Word Impossible. Now, that was the title of the book. I Love the Word Impossible. Uh, and then in the book, she told story after story in, in her life where when, you come, when, you, when she came to those impossible circumstances, I mean, it's impossible. I love the word impossible because if God doesn't come through for me, it's over. And it's time for God to work his still, quiet, small way to bring about the answers to all these things. Philip needed to learn that, his practicality blind. Well, church history tells us that he did learn it. In fact, Philip gave his life for the Lord Jesus in a faraway place, bearing in his body the gospel. He was filleted and beheaded for his testimony for Christ. Now, that's quite a thing for someone who's given to such practicality to give himself utterly and completely for the Savior. That's Philip, the practical man. He learned he learned to exercise by God's grace in the power of the resurrection, great trust in the Lord. You know, that's what God wants us to do. I mean, Americans, are pra- we're practical by nature. We're not typically thought of as great thinkers. We're, not, we're really not. 
We're more like, you know, and you start to get into a long explanation of things. Most of us don't even read directions to how stuff works, do we? Any of you read directions to the kids' toys and stuff? Bev, you do? You do? That may be a disease. I, 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 don't, I, I think the directions are there for if you have a problem, right? Hey, I've got some extra bolts here that didn't go in. I wonder where they go. They probably gave me extra ones. <laughs> I want to run with you with all that mechanical stuff you, you're doing. I, I don't know how you... Do you read the instructions? You do? Boy, I'm feeling convicted now. Holy cow. Man, oh man. Anyway, let's, we better move on to uh, Nathaniel. We're almost done here. Number four is Nathaniel. He's a skeptic. And he allowed, yet he allowed the Lord to change his thinking in 47 through 51. Nathaniel answered, well, Philip finds him, remember. And uh, 47, let me find. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? It's an amazing statement. Probably of the omniscience or the omnipresence of the Lord. Before Philip called you, Jesus said, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Whatever all that means, I'm sure we don't know, but, but uh, Nathaniel took it as he could never have known that. But he did, and it was enough to cause him to go like, oh, He's the Messiah indeed, and, and, and it was used. But he was a skeptic. He's, now, Nathaniel, you should know, is one of the three least known disciples. I mean, we have different lists. There are four lists in the Gospels that, that, that list the disciples. He's always in the last group, and the last group is almost completely unknown. In fact, we know more about him than we do about the other two. Though we know very little about him, I remind you, that Jesus knew him, picked him, included him on this team, and keeps all the books. Faithy's dad used to say that a lot. Remember, it's God who keeps the books. God who keeps the book, and the record is straight. And this truth, uh, this uh, truth is, is uh, as we look at Nathaniel, is that none of us lives without God's notice. You know, even though we don't know very much about Nathaniel and wish we could know a whole lot more, uh, the, the, the reality is most of us not live in quiet, desperate lives, but we live in almost obscurity. I mean, do people really even notice much that we, we, we exist? Like, really, do you make that big a splash? Well, some of you do, but most of us don't, right? We don't. Like, I could, I could disappear tomorrow. I don't know that anybody would even know I was here. You know, I said that to Faith. We were talking about that, that it seems so true to our life. It sounds like Ecclesiastes on Trindle there in St. John's Church where that McDonald's was right on the corner, that old man, and they ripped the thing down right near your office, Dave. And they put, they put a new one up back by the building you designed there. And I go like, Look at that. That thing is, they scraped that thing clean and they put like little flowers and that and all there. And it's like no evidence that that building was ever there. And I said, you know what? I feel like that's our lives a lot of times. We're here for but, but just a moment, a vapor, you know, and, and then we're gone. And it's like, you know, after a few shakes of the stick, is, is there anything that Oh, who was he? We don't know. Was he ever here? And it's sort of 
you, you, if on a bad day, you might really camp on that. Don't do that, though. But uh, you, <laughs> I think anyone would miss me, you know. And the reality is most of us who have very obscure uh, lives under the Lord, but there is one that knows, and it's our shepherd. He is, and he keeps the books. And that ought to encourage you. We don't know much about that. The Lord knows his whole life from beginning to end. He knows your life. And that encourages me. Encourages me to live for the Lord uh, when no one's around, or even when they are around and they're complete strangers. And to live for the Lord. And that was Nathaniel. And he was a skeptic. Uh, he knew his Bible, eh? I mean, I like to, uh, to find a quiz here. How many of you would know that Nazareth, the word, doesn't even occur in the Old Testament? He knew his Old Testament well enough to say, well, wait a minute. He's like a walking concordance. Nazareth doesn't occur in the Old Testament. How can the Messiah be from there? He knew his Bible. He's like, it can't happen. He knew Bethlehem, and he knew the, not, not Nazareth. I've been to Nazareth. What a little cow town that is. Shows a great humility of, of God. If you were God, where would you send your son? Would you send him uh, maybe to Dubai, right, with that, the, all the building going on there on the Persian Gulf and that Arab tower there? Like, yeah, I'll send him. To, no, he sends him to Nazareth 2,000 years ago. That's a, what a hillbilly town. Really, it's nothing there, really. And that's where he sent him in. And, and uh, Nathaniel knew that, and that wasn't even mentioned, and yet uh, his, Philip says, come and see. He allowed the evidence to form his opinion. He visits Jesus and confesses him as king, like uh, Lee Strobel with the case for Christ. He allows the evidence to form his opinion, in that God opens his unbelieving dead heart, and he sees Jesus and confesses him as, as king. And finally, the last encouraging one is John. It could be, we could have a hundred sermons on John the Beloved. This is not John the Baptist. This is John the disciple, the one who was the very closest to Jesus. He was the youngest of all the, the 12 uh, disciples, uh, this beloved man. And I just want to do one little thing about him. Uh, the, this beloved man, when you compare him with his brother James. Now, this is not James who wrote the book of James, that's the half-brother of Jesus, and uh, the work that the ladies are going to study in the fall ladies' Bible study. But this is James, the brother of John, part of the inner circle. It's, he's older than John. We know that because his name always occurs first. It's James, then John. That was the way they listed that. And you've done the same thing on your Christmas cards, right? When you print them in, my mother and dad had seven, and occasionally they had Christmas cards, Bev and Ed, and then here it comes, Dale, Terry, Jan, Kim, right down the list. We didn't say, hey, we'll, we'll confuse them this year. We'll put the youngest in the middle and this and that. <laughs> no, no, you wouldn't do that. My father was an engineer. There's a certain way you do things, you know, that some of you understand that. Amen, John. Oh, John's gone. Okay. <laughs> but, and so James' name always occurs first. But it, and it's Peter, James, and John. They're the inner three. They're on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were in the inner circle of the Lord Jesus. And John and James in themselves present to us the great lesson that it's not how long you live, but how you live that is all important. In this simple comparison, because James 
In Acts chapter 12, verse 2, he was the first of the uh, disciples to be martyred for Jesus. Herod took him because it seemed to please the Jews and had him killed with a sword, probably around 40 years of age. He was, gonna do, he was going to do Peter in too, you remember that, and God overruled. Another case, and I didn't mean to say that, but find great encouragement in this. You know, man makes his plan, but God deems the outcome, and Peter was released on that occasion. James died first, but his brother, also in the inner circle, John, would be the one that would far live, outlive all the others. Even on the island of Patmos, he would write the Gospel of John, first epistle, second and third John, and then the book of, of Revelation. Uh, and he would be the last one, and as I said early, earlier, probably to die of simply old age. Remember, our days, your days are ordained by God. They're all in his hands. They're not in your hands. Whether we live this long, this long, or the Lord comes today, that's all laid out already. You say, well, I'm going to live longer because I'm going to be really careful. So you're, you're, this is the way you're going to live every day. You're like this. I've got to watch every step, every, oh, there's a bug. I can't get that bug. I'll get, you know, and, and, and you know what's going to happen? There'll be a hunk of ice that'll come on you from an airplane and right while you're sitting in your house. I read this in the paper. It really happened. Came, went a green, came right through the roof and hit the couch where the guy was uh, sleeping. There you go. How about that? Uh, I can't remember if he died or not. But he probably died of fright, or probably soon after, or his heart didn't work right. You can. God has it all ordained. And so be encouraged by that. Be encouraged. Take your one a day and all the rest. Faithy's family, they were all Shackley. Oh, my. <laughs> I'm sorry if some of you are still in Shackley. But, <laughs> but there you go. Well, what can we say? Lessons for our life, and we'll be done. Number First lesson. The Lord Jesus is still calling men and women into his family today. Today, come unto him and be saved. Will you, will you, have you, have you received him as your Lord and Savior? Come to him just as you are. Don't clean up, don't dress up. Come sinner, oh sinner, come. We used to sing those kind of songs. And an invitation on come and, and, and repent simply means agree with God that you've sinned. And say, Lord, I come to you repentant and I'm remorseful. I have broken your heart and sinned against you. O thou my creator, my God, and receive you. He will receive you. He will. I promise you. And he'll never let you go. Number two, be encouraged. Be encouraged. God loves common people. The common, ordinary people. Look who's on his dream team. Common people like us, warts and all. He delights in using even the weakest of us to do his great work. Why? Because when his spirit does it through us, like a child shall lead them, and speaking through the weakest and the smallest, he gets all the glory. It's not like when, when the mighty muscle men and women can do it in the flesh, and God doesn't get the glory, does he? But through us. And it's got to be his work. I mean, look at the church. Wow. Number three, if you have failed many times, guess what? You're like Peter. And the reality is, since you and I have failed more times than we count, it's not if, is it? It's since. 
we are like Peter. Proverbs, and I love this verse in 24.16, and have it circled many times in my Bible, Proverbs 24.16, that a righteous man or woman falls seven times, and he gets up. Get up. If you're laying down, get up. What are you doing? Get, get up. It's like my old football coach used to say, if you get knocked down on the field, get up. Don't lay around. You're going to get stepped on. Someone's going to fall on you. And anyway, you don't do any good laying on the ground. Get up. Spring up. I often think about that in my spiritual life. You know, boneheaded, stupid, rebellious things may get sucked in and do. Just get on our knees and repent and get up again. Lord, help me. It's got to be your work in it. Use me for your glory. You said I'm your trophy of grace. Lord, use me. Number four, if you're given the practicality, and many of us are as Americans, and we have tendency, i got to see it laid out before we move ahead, know this, that you'll always struggle with walking by faith. You know, because faith is, is really means risk. Faith is risk. We're trusting Peter out of the boat. Trusting. Risk. It's not... Play it safe, always at home, got to show me Missouri attitude. The eye of faith that learns to trust His Word. Ask the Lord to give you that. And number five, remember the goal is not to live a long life, but to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Whether it's long or short, it may be. But such things are in His hands, not ours. Well, that's Jesus' dream team. Common, ordinary men. Like us, men and women, common, ordinary, and yet God promises to use us as his disciples. Praise God for that. Thank you, Lord. Shall we pray? Father, thank you so much for uh, these uh, men. They have so much to teach us. It teaches us so much, Lord, about your grace in our lives. And Lord, it gives us hope. Uh, Lord, I pray for any here that have never trusted you, They may have heard the gospel a hundred times, and as Jesus passed by today, may may they lodge with you, Lord, and come to know you as Lord and Savior. I pray for that. Strengthen us, Lord. Pick us up that we would run the race set before us. May we be strong men and women of faith like Peter. Change us, Lord. You promised to do that. Make us strong in good works and faith and Make us a blessing, Lord, to all that we should meet. We pray for that, and we love you so. We commit our lives to you now and ask you to make us a blessing even this week. In Jesus' name, amen.